I want to talk this morning with you about a subject that uh, has come up in some other some other discussions and even things I've been reading. Our our society, as you know, is has not only many things that we're wrestling with of a moral nature. I think that some of the reason that we wrestle with these things is because of the same problems that were expressed in the book of Ecclesiastes in the Bible. Now, a couple of months ago, we did a sermon on that about the idea of vanity being the same word that's used for Cain's name, meaning breath or emptiness, and it just simply means something that doesn't make sense. And the book of Ecclesiastes is, an, is my favorite book in the Bible, and it's an attempt to make sense of what's there in Solomon's day from the standpoint of the king of Israel. And we'll talk about that more in a moment. But this book is, to me, one that speaks to our day. But it's spoken to every age before us also. And because it deals with the things that people are concerned about. And that is, what is there besides what I'm seeing? Is there more to life than this? I even read ran across this morning an article in some uh, intellectual type blog about this issue that that uh, are you really concerned uh, about, you know, is this all there is? Uh, you've tried all these things, and are you are you waiting for the next stage of life, it says? Are you waiting for the next manifestation of life? Are you hoping in your back of your mind that there's some great revelation that's going to occur to you, and then you can get, get to living your real life? Because apparently what's going on, people don't think is their real life. They expect something different or better. Is that going to happen? Well, that's where people are in the world. And that's why sometimes all these moral issues and issues about drug use and issues even about the economy, they really are about that idea of not being able to live in a way that we want to in what we consider a fulfilling way. And the world has always been searching for answers. Everybody's searching for something. But the real question for people is where have you been looking to find those answers if you're looking? And and most people are looking in completely the wrong places for the answers of any, for, for anything that would uh, be meaningful or helpful to them. They're looking entirely the wrong places. So let's, you, you know, uh, there's this movie I like for all of its flaws, Oh Brother. And uh, I put this up here because most of you, if I mentioned uh, Homer... And the Odyssey would, you know, go to sleep right away. But maybe a modern movie would help you. But this book is based on Homer's writings, the ancient Greek. Because it's really discussing the same issue. It's based on that. And the characters all have names, or many of them do, that that all reflect the book. Menelaus, you know, and, and Ulysses and all the other characters are really throwing you back into Homer's writing way before Christ. Because it's about the idea, is, is life just a... It's just fate is it's all predetermined. That's what we're being told. We mentioned many occasions recently. We're being told even scientifically that life is just predetermined. And we really struggle with everything. Is it genetic? We had a call on the radio show this morning about genetics and, and sexual orientation and stuff. That was what we were getting at. Is everything predetermined? Or is somebody in control of these things? What does it mean? If anything, what do we see around us? Now, I know that most of us don't sit around and contemplate those things overtly too much. Sometimes you do. But everybody's concerned about this issue, even if you're young. 
What is your place in the world? Where do you fit in? What's going to happen to you? And you're really concerned about this issue. Is there some meaning to life? If so, how am I going to fight it? What's going to happen to me when I get older? What's my life going to be? And you're talking about the same issues. So let's turn over to the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to get as far as we want to this morning, but let's just take a look at this book. Now, of course, there's a lot of intellectual discussion about the book of Ecclesiastes as to whether it really was Solomon that wrote it. Of course, the book itself says that Solomon, I think it has to be Solomon, the preacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. Well, in the time it's written, that's that's Solomon, and he claims to be a wise man, so that's Solomon, and so forth. In the time period that things go on, this is what this book's about. So I think it was Solomon. Now, people say, well, it can't be because of the dates and all that. I, I don't know about that. I believe I'm just going to take the Bible's word for it for the time being that that's who it was. And the book starts out, Vanity of Vanities. Abel, Abel, meaning Abel. It's pointless. What's the meaning of all of this? It's frustrating. Vanity of Vanities, all is vanity. From the looking, looking around, Solomon said, there's no real point to anything. Everything is confusing. There's no point that can be seen of it. People's lives turn out, like T.S. Eliot said, they end people's lives in not with a bang, but with a whimper. There's not much there in the end. Makes no sense. And you see people having lived great lives, they die. I read a story about a woman the other day. Who was a, she lived to be over 100 years old and was active and did all these things. And... and um, Everybody loved her in the neighborhood. She was really a firebrand. Lived her own life, they say. And, and she had all these plans. Well, one day she was walking back from her friends, walking across the highway back to her house, got hit by a truck. Knocked about 50 feet in the air and dead. Instantly on the spot. 100 years old. So, you think that's how she planned it out? Yeah. Is that how, is that how she envisioned life to be? And of course, she wasn't a believer. So... Now the real ordeal begins. We have this idea in our mind that when someone dies, we get to rest in peace. Well, some people do. But for the majority, the Bible doesn't say that we get to rest in peace because then the real problem begins of the way that we've lived. How do we live? What profit? Here's the question. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? The Bible presents life as labor, as a toil. And that's what grown-ups understand that life is. It is drudgery. It's getting up, going to work, doing the same thing every day, or not going to work and going to work somewhere else. You do things, you, you push a rock up a hill and it rolls down to the bottom of the hill. Life is basically toil and labor. That's what you under, it's interspersed with a few moments of perhaps joy. But for the vast majority of people, and I'm going to say really all, life is labor. But we think if we could just get rid of the labor, everything would be great. Is it great? Is that what we see in our society? All these millionaires around us that don't have to really work, are they happy? No, they're worse off than many other people around. Now look, money does solve some problems. It fixes a lot of problems. It makes things easier. But the real problems, it doesn't fix. That's the problem. It, it just doesn't fix them because life is labor. And the point here is, what good is the labor that you do? What good does it bring you to work hard all your life to try to do the right thing and do this and, and, and it doesn't work? I had an uncle worked, lived a long life and well, somewhat long. He, he lived long enough to retire, worked hard all of his life, had many difficulties in life and he handled them well as a good man. 
So he had planned to travel and do things with the money he had from his working, his retirement. And a month or so after he retired, his wife got brain cancer. She was dead within a few months. And a few months after that, he was dead. Died of a heart attack, running, trying to get to the phone. What good is it? Well, you know stories like that can be repeated a million times if you knew the details. He goes and expresses this. One generation passes away, another generation comes, but the earth abides forever. The, things, the earth stays here, but everything else just keeps going. Piled on top of it. You go over to the Middle East and you see mounds and the dirt and they're just cities where people built one city after another on top of the other cities. You go to Jerusalem and everything is dug way down because they built the present civilizations on top of how many more. All those people are gone. Nobody even knows what they thought for the most part. We have to make it up. We have to make up what they were doing because we don't know. The sun rises, sun goes down, hastens the place at which it arose. And that's how most of us feel about the nighttime when we try to rest. It's, it goes fast. The day goes slow, the work goes slow, and the night goes fast. The wind goes toward the south, it turns around to the north, the wind whirls about continually and comes again in this big circuit. And we know this is true uh, about the world. They don't know if they everybody knew that then, but Solomon did. All the rivers run into the sea. I mean, even on Nemo, every drain goes into the sea, doesn't it? Yet the sea is not full to the place from which the rivers come. There they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. Eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. By satisfied, it means it's never filled up. You keep seeing things and you keep thinking, well, isn't there something better? And you keep going, keep tra- people want to travel. They want to see some new thing. And when they get done seeing all the new things... They still haven't seen what they want to see. Because it's all just there. They're not satisfied with it. There's always wanting more. And neither is the ear filled with hearing because everything is full of labor. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. We think the internet is new. It's not. It's just an exaggeration or expression of what's been there before. We think somehow internet dating is new and different. It just isn't. It's just an expansion of what was already there before. And the same problems you have that you think internet dating would solve only get exaggerated when it's that way rather than face-to-face. It's the same thing. And I'm not against that. I'm just saying it's just one of those things. We think our new way of doing this is going to be something different, but in the end, the same problems exist. So is there anything that can be said this is new? already been an ancient time before us there is no remembrance of former things nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who come after if we only knew if we knew more about it we would we would be even we would think we'd be amazed but the technology of the greeks and romans and other people was very advanced much more so than you've been taught in school And the inventions that we have today are based upon all those all of us today who think we're so smart with our technology are just building, standing on the shoulders of other people. And time goes by. And that chronological snobbery is very destructive, even to our own happiness, because we say, even there, it's not the end. So he says, I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I set my heart. So if Solomon sees all this, he's got time, he's got money, he's got power. I'm going to figure this out, Solomon says. I'm going to find out what the meaning of life is. I'm going to find out what all this means. Because when you look at it on the surface, it doesn't look like it means very much. It's confusing. Now, 
pause here for a moment. What we find in the other lesson we did a few months ago on this, what he really is expressing here is the fact that because of sin, because the world is broken, there isn't as much meaning as you think there is, and the meaning is not where you think it would be. The world is broken. It doesn't work right. People are broken. They don't work right. They don't work the way they perhaps intended to be in the first place. So we're living in this broken world, and we're trying to make sense of something that doesn't work correctly. And sometimes we can't. That's why we have to look beyond what we think the answer is. The answer is not, can we start a new government program? Can we do this initiative? And can we be an activist over here, an activist over there, and eventually we'll fix all these problems? That's what people think. But that's not going to happen. Because the problem is not that. It's, it's the broken human beings that live in this world. So he said, I set my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all that is done under the heavens. By wisdom, meaning by his mind and by finding out what's good and right, I'm going to find out what this means. This burdensome task God has given to the sons of man by which they may be exercised. I'm going to find out what this all means. And so he says, I've seen all the works that are done under the sun, and indeed all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Seen all the building projects, all the government initiatives, all the people doing this, everything going on. He said, I look at this, and I can't see the meaning. Well, let me give you a few... And this book then, the book of Ecclesiastes, if you read it, begins to detail Solomon's search for the answer. And he says, I tried this, and then I tried this, and I tried this, and looked at it. Now, the Bible, I didn't put this in there, but the Bible says Solomon was the wisest man that ever lived. God, he asked for wisdom as a young king, and God gave him wisdom. That means to be able to understand things as they are, to understand the reality of things. Knowledge is just knowing something. Wisdom is the ability to use that knowledge in the right way. At least that's one definition of it. And Solomon was a wise man. So he said, I set out my heart, since God gave me wisdom, to figure this out. And he tries everything. So one of the things he tried was partying, pleasure. There are many ways to express this. Some of my uh, slogans here are a little outdated, but I'm preaching to an older audience generally, so we'll go with that. It's five o'clock somewhere. And, you know, our culture is really, really invested in this idea that the real secret of being happy in life is to get off work and get, get stoned or loaded, get drunk, get intoxicated. Get this, or let's have a party. I I saw a calendar on somebody's wall. All the different days that you that are holiday. Every day of the year had several holidays listed by it. Almost all of those holidays were simply an invitation to drink or do drugs. Almost every single one, even Cinco de Mayo. What does that mean to Americans? Get drunk. What's Easter mean? Bring out the Easter wine. What's Christmas mean? Bring out the Christmas bourbon. I mean, there's no... What's Thanksgiving mean? Let's get drunk. This is what Americans do. It's what we are. Because the idea that we can find some meaning in life, or even that we can escape life's problems by intoxication or partying, or let's have a party. You know, uh, I found out, we use those, we buy them by the raft load, those red solo cups. You know, you've seen these. Some of you people have seen these. I know most of you use fine china, but we use the red solo cups. Judy puts in kind of, she puts out a, a marker, and everybody's supposed to write their name on there because then you're going to keep that glass all evening and in our house, usually for several days after that. You don't know that part. That's your glass until it crumbles away because we don't have to wash anything. So we use the red solo cup. I found out 
that in foreign countries, when they want to be an American and have an American party, they use red solo cups. When you see the TV show, you'll see this sometimes. They're, they're doing American things. They got red solo because that's what they, that's what represents America to them. Like the sombrero represents Mexico. The red solo cup, usually with alcohol in it, represents Americans. And that's what we, that's our, what we're known for. Drinking. You, you can look it up. You, I know you think I make this stuff up. You can look it up. Let me, let me show you where to look. But he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with mirth. Partying, therefore enjoy pleasure. But surely, this was also vanity, empty, didn't accomplish what I thought it would. I said of laughter, madness. And of mirth, what does it accomplish? In the end, in the end, the comedy and the laughter degrade into sarcasm and cynicism. The dark comedy. And if you look at the comedy that's now on American TVs and movies... It's dark. It's discouraging. It's negative. I'm good at this, you know, that sarcastic, dark kind of, and because, and that's what is going on here. Because mirth will not get you there. Partying will not get you there. He says, um, I search my heart, chapter two, verse one. I search in my heart to gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom. I try to get wine, have wine and wisdom in the same heart. How to lay hold on folly that I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under the heaven all the days of their lives. And what he's saying is I didn't find anything there in the, in the long run. Short term, yes, of course. And there's nothing wrong with parting and mirth and joy. I, I'm not saying that. I, that isn't Solomon's point. That being a Christian is about just not enjoying yourself. That isn't the point. The point is you have to understand what you can expect from that. What in the end, in the end is the result of that. In fact, he says later on, he says that um, the, the fool likes to go to a party, but the wise man would rather be at a funeral because he says that he can learn more from the funeral than he can the party. And that's true. Secondly, he tried money and things. Not just money, but things. The things that money can buy. Who wants to be a millionaire? Well, who doesn't? Except a millionaire is not really that much anymore. You got to be a billionaire, they say. Well, I read the other day that the real cutoff is something like seventy-five million dollars. Once you get over that seventy-five million dollars, you can pretty much do whatever you want to do. Under that, you still have to work and mess with things, but over that, you can pretty much do what you want to do. So y'all get busy. Get busy. It may be less than that. I don't know. You know, some of you are thinking 20,000 bucks would be great. He said, I made myself gardens and orchards, planted all kinds of fruit trees in them, made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. And of course, I imagine to swim in. I acquired male and female servants. See, they say that the reason that it takes a certain amount of money to be happy the research says is because you can buy people to do the things that you don't want to do. So you can buy the servants to drive you, to cook for you, to do your laundry, to do all the maintenance. You, you can buy people to do those things that you consider drudgery. And then and then you can party. That's the idea, I guess. Or do what you want to do. Is this a new idea? Some Somebody brilliant figured out that if I just had enough money, I could don't have to do this drudgery? No, that's what Solomon said. And so he did that. 
And yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. Herds and flocks were were monetary assets, but they also provided with everyone to eat. He said, I gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and the provinces. Not only did I have money, special silver and gold, but I even had beautiful things to look at. Is that not what, what the, what's the current uh, investment craze? Artwork and what they, what's the name of that? I can't think of what they call it now. Bitcoin, yeah, but I'm thinking of the where they where they buy things that are special special creations that other people made, and they try to auction them off and sell them. Antiquities. In what? Antiquities. Antiquities. The other one is one I'm thinking. NT. Who's talking? I can't hear who's saying. Right. They're either NFTs or NTAs. Yeah, NFTs. Yeah, there you go. Sorry, Brian, I couldn't pick up where that voice was coming from. If I only had enough money, I could maybe figure out how to hear, but uh, buy a better hearing aid. But in any event, uh, NFTs, something like that, this is the same thing he's saying here. I want special things, not ordinary things. I saw, I was driving over, I saw by a dumpster, I was looking by dumpsters naturally, and I saw some paintings by a dumpster, pictures. I'm thinking, oh, maybe Judy would like those. You know, stop and look at them, see if she'd like to put some of the pictures in our house. Do you think she really wants those? I, I didn't. I didn't get them, honey. But no, people want something that nobody else has. They don't want a reproduction that you buy in Walmart. They'll buy that if they have to, but that's not what they want. He says here, uh, I required special treasures of all the kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers. We call it Spotify. Okay, is that, is that not what we call it? Even the poor can acquire male and female singers of all kinds for generations. And we think, if I just have the music plugged in my ears, I'll be happy. That's what young people think. And they got think something plugged in their ears wherever they are. Parents are out with their kids. I see them all the time in the store. They're out with their kids, walking around with their kids in the store. And they're plugged in. And the kids are walking. Because the parents have to have the male and female singers in their ear all the time. So it'll make them happy. The lights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. But the more the more musicians we can have, because you know America's got talent, and we just got to have that talent and find out the best, and everything is going to be happy when we do. This is what people are thinking behind it all. If they weren't thinking it would make them happy, they wouldn't be selling as much of it. But it doesn't work, he says. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me. We call this, you know, this is success. This is achievement. So we pump into our kids from the time they're young. You go out and you get the best grades. You do everything right and you can achieve things and you can have a happy life. Then you'll be successful and productive. And that's, he says, I did this. Also, my wisdom remained with me. That's an important point. He said, I didn't just become jaded and cynical, I, I had my wisdom, my knowledge from God about these things when I saw this, which is why he can make a judgment about it. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor. This this is what Amazon is about. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. That's what Amazon's about. It is. You go there, and you can look for anything you want to look for. Amazing. From great to small, you can find whatever it may be. You, you can find every kind of bee smoker you can think of and every kind of hive and dive tool. You can find anything you want to about honeybees on there, just in case you want to know. 
that will make you happy if you have these things. My heart rejoiced in all my labor. Yeah, I felt good about all that, and this was my reward. And this was my reward from all my labor. I felt good about it at the time. And then he says, I looked at the, all the works my hands had done on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. I got done with all this acquisition of everything you can think of, and I even looked for things that I thought would make me happy and feel good, the special treasures and all the other things, the music, the entertainment, all those things, and in the end I saw that it was grasping for the wind. I'm trying to grab something you can't get a hold of and you can never grasp. Because the happiness is not there. There was no profit under the sun. I don't know if this illustrates it or not. Years and years ago when I first started preaching, I was preaching in Boca Raton. I guess I didn't realize it. Well, I didn't realize it was uh, full of millionaires at the time. Highest per capita income in the United States at that one time Boca Raton had. I had a little church in a, upstairs of a board of realtors building. You know, we weren't exactly top of the heap there, but you know we were in Boca Raton. And so, I, I, and I, somebody came, a little woman came several times to visit. Um, a single woman who was several years older than me at the time, and um, so I went to see her. She left the car. I went to see her and get acquainted. It's a beautiful home, an unbelievably beautiful home. And I go in there and I sit down and, and we're talking. And she she says, in the course of the conversation, she was very sad. I, I got down. She goes, well, she says, you see. I'm, I, when I was young, I was a Christian, but I, I married a man, and a Jewish man. I left the Lord. We went all over the United States, all over the world. He became a millionaire. We had everything we wanted. I had everything I wanted. I thought I wanted. And some years ago, she said, he left me for another woman. So he says, here I sit in this house that I love, that I built for me. And I hurt because... It's so big. It's so elaborate, so luxurious. It's what I always wanted. But it hurts because I don't have what I really wanted. She says it, it's worse than not ever having had it. Having it now is worse than not ever having had it. And I was young. I was in my 30s or 20s maybe even then. I, I didn't understand that, I suppose. But this is what he's saying. It's a grasping after wind because there's something else in life that you really want, and you think this stuff will do it. Now, I would say most of us Christians, in some degree or another, get caught up in this at times. And it is a balancing act. I taught my children, man, I enforce this because my dad did to me. You do your schoolwork, that's your job. You get that done, you do the best you can. You get the best grades you can. You learn everything. You you join activity so you can become a better well-rounded person, learn this, and you get a job, and you work hard in the job, and you try to do your best and advance and do good for everybody around you. This is what I taught my kids. I, they're doing that better than I ever did it. Um, so that's part of this. That's right. I, I think that's good. I think that's what the Bible tells me to do. Work, we taught this a couple weeks ago. Work so that you can have to give to him that has need. And when you do that, you'll become successful for the most part. But if we begin to think that the success is going to help me, now I did teach them something else, though. I don't know where I got this idea. When everybody was always asking, "So what do you do? Who are you? What are you? Who are you?" You know, well, I tell them I'm a preacher, and they go, step back a couple steps, give me the evil eye. That's true. 
I tell somebody I'm a preacher or minister, they take a step or two back and give me the evil eye. Um, and uh, that's just life now. It didn't used to be like that, but that's the way it is. But that's what people ask you. And what they mean by that is, who are you? When you meet someone, who are you? So you tell them, well, I'm this or that. I drive a truck or I work in an office. Or you tell them, I'm a plumber, carpenter, whatever you are. Now, I try to teach my sons in particular when that who they were and who they were going to be is not an engineer, a doctor, teacher. Who they were going to be is a father and a Christian. So I told them, when people ask you, what do you do? You say, well, I'm." you, you tell them you're a Christian. You tell them that you are a husband or a father. That's who you, that's who you are. Now, is that about a better understanding of who they are than I'm a plumber or whatever? And, of course, people, people, that's not what people want to know, though. They want to be able to categorize you some other way, but we're getting bogged down. The other thing that people do, Solomon says, is they, they search for, they search for meaning in intellectual pursuits, in education. We call it education. So we have, you know, are you smarter than a fifth grader? Uh, you know, and, and uh, people play trivia. Brian goes and does trivia once or twice a week. Professional trivia master. And uh, why, did, why do they fill up those restaurants and tables of restaurants? Why did they do that? These people want to prove how smart they are. I, I'd be right there with them, you know, trying to prove how smart I am. And so forth. I used to ask my kids in the car, ask me any question you want to, boys, girls, I'll, I'll give you the answer. Just try. Try your old dad. Ask him anything you can think of. Oh, they love that game. <laughs> they never won, but they love that game, trying to out, trying to, because I can make up, they didn't realize, I can make up stuff they never even heard of before. Anyway, um, and they can't prove that I'm wrong. Now, now the internet is there and they're on their phone, I have to be a little more careful. He says, then I turn myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. What can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. We want ourselves a new king. Well, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. To some degree. You can do things to make gas prices go up and cause inflation. But you can't always do things that will fix that. And there's no magic answer to some things. And when people arrogate to themselves that kind of power that I can do, I can uh, do that, well, then they're going to find out that it doesn't work so well. Because what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what the king has already done. And so he said, I tried to look at this and see, is there answer to some of the, is intellectualism, is education the answer? We think education is the answer. And our schools that we educate kids in are filled with kids who want to kill themselves. Is that not true? Or they either fill with kids who want to kill themselves or kill the other kids. Okay. Why is that? I thought, I thought education would fix all these problems. And don't tell me it's the teachers. Sometimes it is. It's what they're being taught. It's a lot of it. And more than, more than truthfully, it's what they don't have at home. They have too many mothers and too many fathers. The problem today with children is that it's not that they have too few fathers and mothers, they have too many fathers and mothers. You have to think about that one for a while. It takes education to figure that out. 
But then I, I saw that wisdom exceals folly as light excels dark. It's true. Education and knowledge are helpful and good. They do benefit you and other people around you. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet, he's going to tell you the wise man and the fool both have the same problem. Yet, I myself perceive that the same event happens to them all. In the end, they're all going to die. In the end, they're all going to get old and all those things are going to go away. Remember my uncle, a hardworking, smart man. He only had eighth grade education just because at that time in Kentucky, when you reached the eighth grade, you were done with education. You had to go to work, which is what he did. Then he went to the war. But he said, I, I just, he, we were sitting, he had retired a year or two before. And he says, you know, it's amazing how dumb I got overnight. He said, the minute that I turned 65, I became a stupid person. He said, at least that's what all you guys think who are younger than me. I don't know nothing anymore because I'm retired or because I'm over 65. And that's what he said. That's the same thing happens to everybody. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. Why was I then more wise? Then I said in my heart, this is also vanity. Oh, I consider myself real smart. In the end, I don't know any more than anybody else about stuff. In fact, what you find, I think, as you get older, is that you know less and less than you thought you did before. You really, you really find out that you don't really know what you thought you did before. Because life is not simple. It isn't a matter of yes or no, this or that. It's not simple. People think genetics is simple. Oh, you got this DNA, you got this. Oh, it's, it's not simple. We're only beginning to scratch the very surface of genetic knowledge and we think we got it all figured out. Oh, we just know so. We've, we've watched a couple of episodes of Judge Judy and we think we know all about DNA. Not that simple. And actual scientists will tell you it is and they'll actually be humble about it. But of course, when they want to score political points or the things, they don't. But the truth is, we just, and he says, why, why was I thinking I was more wise? There's not. Uh, he said, for there is no more remembrance of the wise and the fool forever since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die as the fool? From what we know about this King Tut, this uh, little bit of, there's conflicting stories about good old King Tut. Boy, he's magnificent, isn't he? Yeah, he, he, was, he was a complete waste. He just got to put all the gold there. Some of the guys that built the pyramids, are they the greatest pharaohs of Egypt? Not even close. But they have, from where we're sitting, oh, they're the great ones, but they're not. Some of these great people of history that we all, we think we should admire, they're not that great. They're just like all of us. Because the same thing happens to all of them. So even seeking fame and fortune, you find that it doesn't last and it doesn't get you where you want to go. You want to be famous. When they ask young people today, when they ask young people today, what do you want to be? You know, you used to be a lawyer, a doctor, astronaut, whatever the case may be. When they ask young people today, the vast majority say, I want to be a YouTube influencer, YouTube star, or I want to be a rap star. The vast majority say those things. Or I want to be a professional football player. That's what they say. So, what do you say to that? Follow your heart. Oh, that's what I'm going to tell them all the time. Yeah, follow your heart right there, right into poverty. Follow your heart. Will the, will the, will being a YouTube star get you where you want to be? No. 
No. Well, not any more than any other famous pursuit. So then we have this idea of success. Moving on up. You know that story. Or if you're older, hi-ho, it's off to work we go. So we can all be successful. Therefore, I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing. Because all is vanity and grasping after the wind. I hated labor, which I had toiled under the sun, because I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether that man will be a wise man or a fool. Yet he will rule over all my labor in which I told, in which I had shown myself wise, so I make all this money and leave it to a fool. You realize how many of the great pioneers of American history and even the presidents didn't have a son that was worth, you know, kicking to the curb? Either had no sons, no daughters, or they had all of them were worthless. It's the, it's the rule rather than, even if you look at our current president, he's achieved something in life. What about his children? Yeah. You see how it works? And this is what he's talking about right here. Whoever accomplishes something, it doesn't last because the world is broken. And so he says, therefore I turned my heart and despaired of all the labor which I had told on the son. What good did that do me? There is a man whose labor is worth wisdom, knowledge and skill, yet he must leave his heritage to a man who has not labored for it. This also is vanity and a great evil. So we set up trust funds with rules and we think we're going to make our kid wait till they're 21 to get their trust. And how's that work? That doesn't work. But it's all man for his labor, all the striving of his heart which he has under the sun. In the end, he says it's better here a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more, so forth. So anyway, we, we need to, we need to, uh, yeah, I suppose that's a good word, quit. What is it all about? In the end of the book, the passage you're familiar with, Sometimes the only passage in the book people are familiar with is this one. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all, or this is the whole duty of man. God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. So in the end, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, foolish or ignorant. It matters whether you will obey God. And that... That commandment, that rule encompasses all of life, whether you, whether life goes one way or the other way. So we encourage you this morning as we close and sing the song that's before us, that, that's, uh, before us, to consider your own life. You're not going to find satisfaction outside of Jesus Christ. There's just no way to find it. You're going to keep searching, keep striving. Now I know it helps you understand some people around you when you see this, but in the end, we need to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. So we're going to sing this song now, number 262, to encourage you to become a Christian today. Step out, be baptized because of your faith in Christ and start a new life all over again with real purposes in mind. Can we help you? If so, come down to the front right now. Let's stand and sing.